Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broadening our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Hey! And Jason. Hello, everyone. What's up, guys? How you doing? I kind of feel better about that intro than I did the last one. Where that I was, was a very good high you did. A good hay. Getting good used hay. to it? Good hay. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Not really. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. How are you doing, Dustin? <laughs> you know it's been a long week. I've had to put in a lot of overtime. Mm-hmm. I don't want to bitch about it. Instead, I want to say I appreciate you guys. Aww. I appreciate everyone listening in that's coming along with us on this journey. Well, thank you. That's sweet. Thank you. On those long days, knowing that I'm looking forward to this pulls me through. So, Oh, that's nice. Yeah, we yeah. look forward to it too, man. We appreciate you. Killer. I think I kind of look forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, let's get rolling. What did okay. you guys watch this week? Dustin, how about you go first? Sure, I'd be glad to. So, I've been pretty positive on all of these the whole way we've been going so far. And I finally kind of got my... You know, I don't want to call it my first dud, but... I wasn't sure how I felt about it. Mm. So, there was a movie that I rented back when I was in high school called Cthulhu Mansion... Okay. Directed by Juan Piquer Simon. Yeah, they're going to butcher you. You probably butchered that. It's good to me. I liked it. If I'm wrong, write in. Please correct me. I would like to know because this guy also directed uh, Slugs and Pieces. And those oh, are, Pieces is cool. Yeah, those are both pretty slugs wild. Slugs is fun too. I don't think seen I've it. seen Slugs. Yeah, it's great. So it was kind of just when I first discovered this idea of like Cthulhu, the Cthulhu mythos, Lovecraft, all of that, and I found this film that's called Hey Cthulhu Mansion. Must be about Cthulhu stuff. So I eagerly rented it. I watched it, and I was like, I don't know if I understand what Cthulhu is, really. And then later I got into the books and started researching and learned everything. And this movie kind of just faded into my memory until my favorite, Vinegar Syndrome, have restored it in glory on Blu-ray. So I do have the blue. (laughs) Take your shot. Yep, take the shot. It's been sitting on my shelf, and I thought, you know what? Let's go back. Maybe it's not as weird as I remember. Maybe it's a little better. Uh, and it's about this aging magician named Chandu. He does like the stage shows and stuff, um, very much like a Houdini type. And he has this interest in magic and the occult. And one day he finds this occult book that's just titled Cthulhu on the cover. Okay. Um, and he tries to incorporate that into his, his act. He ends up summoning some kinds of creatures, and uh, his wife explodes into flames. Wow. Oh, God. Okay. So it's a pretty crazy opening, but then you fade to this carnival... And there's some, like, scummy-looking, like, you know, teens. They're running around trying to get drugs off of someone. They have all these scheming. Each one is completely reprehensible. As teens typically are. You yeah. hate them all. You're just like, when will these people die? Um, okay, I don't condone that part about teens. <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of reprehensible sometimes, but not necessarily I want you to um, die. Okay. Hashtag not all teens. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> so in the scheme of things, they uh, kill a guy. They get a bunch of uh, coke from him. They're planning to sell it, or one guy is, like, debted, indebted to someone else. Um, in the end, to escape the police, since they've murdered people in the park, they kind of abduct Chandu, his daughter, and his assistant, and go back to his mansion to hide out for a while. His Cthulhu mansion. His Cthulhu mansion. And literally, the gate as you go in, there's a giant Cthulhu written above the gate. Wow, okay. This seems um, like a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, they get there, they're staying the night to kind of blow things over, and there's an entity kind of sealed in the basement. Gets out, creeps around, and spooky stuff starts happening. Does it? Uh, and uh, so then that's kind of the problem, is there's really nothing to do with Cthulhu in this film other than the title, the name's there. There is an occult book. You would think they would go like, hey, Necronomicon, 
you know, Book of Ebon. There's hundreds to choose from. Plenty, yeah. You can take your pick. But there's none of that. There's no, you know, no fish-looking creatures, no tentacles. It's very much more like a haunted house kind of film. Like, if this was one of those La Casa sequels, I could see that. <laughs> right. What year was this? Oh. Late 80s, I believe. Yeah, it is. I'm going to say 89. One second. It's, uh... Actually, it's 91. Oh. Oh, interesting. But it has that feel of, like, a late 80s film. So what else was going on in 91 that maybe they wanted to cash in on the Cthulhu thing? Like, was there... How far away... I mean, how far away are we from, like, Reanimator? Reanimator was 85. Right, so mm. we're far away. Okay. Yeah. So the idea is out there to kind of do Lovecraft in film. Right, but just to botch it horribly. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's the fact that, you know, Cthulhu was public domain name is probably yeah. something they just picked up on and said, yeah, we'll get this. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so what I recommend it, I think that uh, if you like those La Casa films and just a good, like, haunted house movie, it's worth a watch. There are some amazing special effects. There's this monster that comes out of the fridge at one point. And it's just these like giant puppety claws, and that's all you see of it. And that is very, very cool. Okay. So okay. some some good effects. Uh, boring story, unlikable characters. Check. A little Check. dry. Check. Um, Sounds like early 90s uh, direct-to-video releases. Yeah. yeah. Cool, cool. All right. So that's me. Uh, I'm sorry that you got a dud. It's okay. I had fun watching it. I don't think it would come up in my esteemed like rating of things, but it was cool to revisit it. Nice. I'm going last, because okay. you, you know what I watched. All right, yeah, Jason, what I do you do. got? Because you were there. I have um, a fun little movie from 1976 called The Oily Maniac. Ooh, you keep having these weird ones that are <laughs> yes, neat yes. sounding. Sounds very it, erotic. It, it is not the Harvey Weinstein story. <laughs> oh. oh. Um, it is a Hong Kong film uh, directed by Ming Hua Ho who is best known probably for uh, Black Magic 1 and 2 and The Flying Guillotine. Oh, I love The Flying Guillotine. I've heard of those. I've yeah, never seen them. Those are all fun movies. And it stars Danny Lee as the titular oily maniac. <laughs> Why is he oily? I don't like we'll get, it. We'll get to that. We'll get to <laughs> that. Okay, okay. Um, now, you may know Danny Lee from The Killer, John oh, Wu movie. Oh, cool. Okay, cool. Yeah, so he went on to have a great career do a lot of things. A lot of oily things. <laughs> <laughs> and some not so oily. Um... But it's it's based on a real Malaysian folk creature called Orang Minyak. And I'm probably butchering Ooh. that, and I apologize. But yeah, it's an actual creature. And in the movie, he takes on the oily maniac persona, almost like a superhero. <laughs> First, to fight crime. There, is, there are these thugs who are trying to swindle his love interest out of her inheritance, out of her uh, plantation she's got. And so he becomes the oily maniac to attack them and, and kill them and stop them. <laughs> And he can run super fast. He can jump high distances. Um, he can spew oil on enemies. Um, <laughs> he, he can turn himself into an oil slick Ooh. and move really fast or go under doors and stuff. Um, and when he does that, it's great because it is quite literally the music from Jaws. <laughs> I think there's like wow. one. There's one half note they threw in there. Thinking, oh, they're never gonna you know, recognize. This <laughs> they won't recognize the one of the most <laughs> recognizable scores in the last twenty years. The, the year before this came out in seventy six, so Jaws oh, had just come out the year yeah. before, and they're already ripping it off. I mean, why not? It's John Williams. Just go and rip him off. <laughs> so, uh, do you think he's Avengers material? <laughs> he kind of sounds like a rejected X Men or something. Well, it's very strange because, well, maybe because most superheroes tend to have that dark period. Mm -hmm. Because he starts off fighting the bad guys, great. But then this love interest of his rejects him. 
and then he decides, oh, women are horrible. I must, I must, yikes, yeah, oh. kill all these women who are just horrible to men and scheming and uh, yeah, it gets kind of problematic. You, I don't know you come back from that. Like, I don't think the X Men are going to want you on their team after you've gone full misogyny. I would hope probably not. not. I would hope not. But uh, toward the end, he starts to be like, okay, well, you know, this is bad, and he starts fighting the bad guys again. <laughs> and I'm just going to spoil it for you because he's defeated. What What do you think could stop? The oily maniac. Kitty right? litter. <laughs> Igniting him on fire and letting him burn Bingo. out. Wow. Yes. I like mine better. I mean, because when you <laughs> spill oil in your in your garage, well, the, you throw the, some kitty litter the, on the it. The like, kitty litter might take a while, I think. You know, he'd probably still be able to, like, be all sludgy. and The fire's going to be cooler. That's but, fine. Agree right. to disagree. Kitty litter. That's fine. That's hey, fine. You go make that movie, man. I'll watch it. <laughs> it's okay to be wrong. <laughs> he kept going on about how invincible he was, and all it took was just, you know, a spark, and boof, he's up in flames. Especially in a place where everybody smokes. That seems really dangerous. Sure, right. <laughs> Everyone so, smokes there. So You know, watch your hubris. Don't let that get carried away, because someone will find your weakness. But um, it's a very fun movie. There's a little bit of sleaze in it, kind of just to ride them out to make it interesting and different. And it, it's streaming right now on Amazon Prime, and it looks great. They, mm. they got a good print of it. How did you find out about it? It just came up in one of my suggestions. Because <laughs> the Amazon Prime algorithm for you is like, we don't know what the fuck you're watching, man. <laughs> just here. How about this oil guy? You want to watch Oily Men? <laughs> I think he would like uh, the Oily Maniac. I mean, sure. it could be going on the other oily men suggestions. It's probably all the like hunky boy jokes we made with Psycho Gorman. <laughs> probably, probably right. we've probably opened a floodgate. The phones have heard us, and now they've like altered the algorithms on everything. <laughs> I do not care for oily maniac, or do I? <laughs> we all know the answer. So yes, it's a great movie. It's a fun movie. Just there's a little bit of sleaze in there. You know, that's fine. It's good. It's 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 old, but it's fun. I recommend it. Killer. It's going right on my watch list. Awesome. How about you, uh, Michael? You wanted to go last, and I know what you watched. Yeah, I watched several, but this one I just got to talk about. Okay. I watched Veronica. <laughs> we were supposed to watch that together, man. Come on. Yeah, well, it happened. And, um, Dustin, don't. Don't? Don't do no. it. Don't. I just... Okay, I'm going to start off. Well, one question first. Did you watch it alone? No, no, okay. no, mm. no, no, no. Jason and I actually watched it with um, those other dudes. Oh, you bastards! Um, I think we did you a favor though, <laughs> because I'm gonna let you talk. I'm gonna let you finish, <laughs> but I think you're wrong. You, please continue. Okay, okay, let's hear it. All right, so Veronica, what's it about? Fuck if I know. Um, it's a uh, directed by Glenn Danzig of Misfits fame, Love uh, Danzig fame, Sandhain fame. So like. Glenn Danzig, cool. We can agree, cool, cool. Glenn Danzig, maybe not so much latter. Glenn Danzig albums are kind of hit or miss. Here and there. But it is a an anthology film with three different stories, um, which are not connected at all. Um, we are introduced to them by Glenn's own version of the Crypt Keeper, Ooh. which honestly... I don't know her real name. Red Letter Media calls her Boobarella, and that's the only name that's <laughs> going to come to my head now. She introduces herself as Morella. Morella. Boobarella is better. Um, not my name, but, you know, it's uh, that's the only thing I can think of her name is now. Um, the film stars mostly all porn actresses. And if you check out their IMDb credits, you'll get a good laugh. Um, they're... 
I mean, maybe those those are prestigious movies in the porn industry. I don't know. Well, they have very colorful titles. Yeah, are yeah. you implying that they can't act? Um. Uh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say I don't think it's all their fault. Okay. I think, direction does matter. Yes. Yes. I. So the first story of the trilogy is um. Oh, a, a lady um is has um eyes for nipples and interesting um, she cries and the nipples cry and um their her nipple eyes cry mm-hmm. and and they drop onto a very very bad cg spider and said cg spider then turns into a very very bad makeup job <laughs> now it's okay it's it's okay if it was shot correctly it would be okay yeah because the makeup itself then okay so <laughs> All right. So as one would do if a nipple tear were to fall on a spider and turn the spider into like a big human form mm-hmm. uh, that kind of looks like Goro from uh, <laughs> Mortal Kombat uh, because, you know, obviously he's got the two legs. Right. And then he's got two extra arms that don't move. They're just locked in a forward position for the entire segment. Yeah. But then his actual arms, they do all the heavy lifting. Mm. Um those are his grappling arms. Yeah, those are his grappling arms. Um, well, actually, he uses them to break necks. He's the neck breaker. <laughs> he's the neck breaker. And for some reason, the reason we say that in a French accent is because for some reason, Glenn Danzig decided to have this segment set in France with all non-French actors. Doing a French accent. Doing a French yeah. accent. Yikes. Um, it's It's awful. It's horribly bad. Now, there is some redeeming qualities for this one because you. this one is just engaging enough that you're like, what the fuck? And it's laughable. It's sad laughable because no one seemed to tell Glenn that this doesn't work, that it's real bad. <laughs> okay, here's the next question. Is that the point? I don't think that he was self-aware on this. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Because there are some interviews with Danzig as this movie premiered in 2019 where audiences laughed. Like, it was, they straight up laughed at the movie. And Danzig said in things afterwards, he's like, well, it's cool, guys. It's cool. You know, you laughed in places that I didn't think you'd laugh. But it's cool. It's cool. So He should have told me why Zoed it, man. Just lean in. I think, and this movie did get compared to The Room. Mm -hmm. I could see that. I have not seen The Room, which grew a lot of ire from everyone else last night when I admitted that I hadn't seen you The Room. You have to see The Room. You really you got to see it at least so once. Great. But the sec- so the first segment, fine. You know, it's laughable. Second segment, I don't understand it. It's about a stripper who cuts faces off. Her face is deformed. She has, like, scars on her face. It's not that deformed. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, she's... <laughs> She's unhappy with the way she looks. Okay. So her solution is to go remove the faces off of other women. Yeah. Now she um, she puts them on, and then she strips. That's how she earns her living. But she's also wearing like a mask. Yeah, she's a wearing a, a fucking mask <laughs> over the ma- the skin mask. She anticipated the COVID pandemic and was already masked. <laughs> I kind of wondered if this was like if I hadn't have known this released in 2019, I almost would have thought this was like their story cover oh, for the pandemic that'd be a more interesting story <laughs> it probably would um so a uh, sleazier eyes without a face is what you're saying <laughs> right mm. right <laughs> yeah i just i'm almost getting mad thinking about it 
I can see it on your face. I know this is a podcast, so there's no no visual aid for people, but I've watched you this whole time straining, trying to like formulate your words. Because <laughs> I can't. I don't know. <sighs> oh, it's bad. I, I, I think I enjoyed it more than Michael did. Okay. You did. I, it was clear that you did. I, I'm a connoisseur of bad movies. Now... I'm not, now that it's now that the band-aid's been ripped off. I'm not opposed to going back and watching it again. And now I think that we should. Because Jason and I now know what's coming. Mm-hmm. I want to watch it with you <laughs> just to watch you the whole time like, oh shit, here it comes. Dustin's going to see it. So that's actually probably going to be a more enjoyable experience for me. Mm-hmm. Watching it the second time with you who has not seen it. Mm. Which, we talked about that before. Like, I got excited about Hard Boiled, yeah. watching Dustin watch it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you just have a thing about watching people, I do. I, guess. I yeah. do. It's cool. It's, it's cool. cool. <laughs> I mean, I always try to make sure that they're aware that I'm mm-hmm. watching them, you know. And it's consent first. Yeah, That's very it's, important. It's important that I get consent first. If you're not cool with it, I'll not watch you, but okay, cool, whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, Veronica. Wow. Streaming on Shutter is where we watched it. Nice. Which, if you don't have Shutter by now and you're listening to this podcast, it's Get like Shutter. five bucks a month. It's great. What are you waiting for? It's and we're not sponsored. We just love them. I mean, I had Shutter, and I think it's even cheaper if you buy the year. I'm sure it is because yeah. I mean it. It renewed, and I didn't know it renewed, and it was so little that I didn't even notice it on my credit card. <laughs> or you're just that rich, you didn't notice. It's definitely not that. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh. It could also be that I'm poor at managing money. But, <laughs> it, could be, it could be many factors. But either way, Shutter, get Shutter. So yes, we watched it on Shutter. It looked good, as good as, as good as it could. It, it's, in, it's in focus. <laughs> it is in focus. Well, that says a lot. I thought. That it was just our friend's TV that he had it set up for the like the stupid real life thing, and it looks like everything is smooth, but that's mm-hmm. just the way it was shot. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> it was just shot like that. It was shot like a like a soap opera, like a soap opera, very yeah. flat, wow. very. Because yeah. I was gonna rib him and be like, dude, why are you watching this on this like f- smooth motion crap? Well, you know we don't watch that in cinema. No, um, <laughs> it was just the way it was shot. So, yeah, if you are with some people and you're inebriated, you should be. For this film, <laughs> I think that it needs a little a uh, little booster. Check it out, I guess. All right, Jason, do you have any subsequent thoughts to add on about that? Uh, not, no. not really. No, it's just it's. It, it, I, I love Glenn Danzig. I love the man. I love his music. You know, he's great. And it's just sad to see this <laughs> done by him because I, I think I have a feeling of what's in his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you and, can. And, I mean. He just doesn't have the experience right. to put it onto screen. And he didn't do what a good filmmaker would do, which is hire people around you. To tell mm-hmm. him, hey, this doesn't look right. You can see the seams of the monster's costume here, Glenn. Maybe we should shoot it from a different angle. You know, right, there, There's it, no one around to do that. Just based on your description of it, it kind of sounds almost like those... Uh Kind of like the gothics, little little bit erotic thriller horror kind of things. Like You think of like vampire lovers... Or something like yeah, that. Yeah, definitely, especially the last segment is very much like that Hammer mm-hmm. film wannabe. Yeah. yeah. And I do have one more thing I want to talk about real quick. It's not a movie, so I made sure to bring a movie this time before I talk about this. Good. Um, on Netflix, they dropped an anime for Pacific Rim. I, yeah, I saw that released, mm-hmm. and I'm stupid excited yeah, about it. Pacific that. Rim, the black, I was able to check it out. It's only seven episodes, so it's real quick to get through. Um, it's set in the same continuity as the other films, so if you enjoy those at all, it's right there for you, right in it. They pull more from the mythos of the first film and probably the style where there's you know, the mechs are slower and they have that weight to them. 
That's probably for the better. Um, they do acknowledge the second film, but very lightly, so I thought they handled that well. The second film for me was mm, not – you can't live up to the first one. It didn't one. have Del Toro's yeah. touch on that yeah, one. It like, wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. No, it's still fun as hell. I still enjoy watching it, but that one felt a little more Transformers. Mm-hmm. You I know, think so, like, too. I don't know. I could actually tell what was going on, so I wouldn't compare it to Transformers. <laughs> well, you know. So um, The Black is set in Australia, and it's a little bit after the second film. It seems like the uh, kaiju are coming back again. Now their scheme is that they sort of open portals and just, like, flood a bunch through there and just try to, like, mass a spot and then shut the portal so they don't have a repeat of the first film. Okay, makes sense. They're um, so they blitz Australia. It gets overran. They kind of have to abandon everything. And you follow this brother-sister duo. At the start, their kids and their parents are Jaeger pilots. Um, they get left with some survivors, and their parents go off to get help and never return. Mm. And so you kind of skip ahead to them as teenagers. Um, they stumble upon an abandoned training facility. Mm-hmm. Naturally. With, with a Jaeger that's converted just to teach new pilots. So it's got no weapons, but it's in pristine condition. And it's got a, a support AI to kind of guide people. So with that support, they start to kind of trek across these blasted areas of Australia, which is called the Black which is where the title comes ah, from. Okay, cool. Okay. And they have to deal with other survivors, kaiju, and it was a very well-done, well-presented story, I thought. They really give it time to breathe. Um, with a lot of mecha anime, sometimes they try to have like a fight every episode, and that can sometimes muddy up the story. Mm-hmm. But here, they really gave it room to breathe. Cool. I'm excited to hear that you liked it, because I was worried about it. Mm-hmm. I, I got really excited, because I love... I, I mean, I love kaiju. Yeah, me I too, mean, man. that's like... I mean, I'm probably, yeah, I, I don't want to go anymore because it's going to sound creepy if I start talking about how <laughs> I love Kaiju. But I saw it was being released, and I was like, no, oh, please be good. Please be good. So if you liked it, then I'm yep. super excited. I give it my it highest out. recommendation. The animation is that set of kind of 3D, like, cel-shaded look. I like that, um, I know the Japanese studio that did it. I can't think of their name. They did uh, Knights of Sidonia, which was another mecha anime that Netflix has licensed to I'm, so, exci- I'm excited to watch it now. Check if you dig out. Pacific Rim, check it out. I do feel really bad that we watched Veronica without Dustin now, though. It's okay. We'll get to it. I There's feel. so many other movies to watch, though. There's always we can't more. Get everything in. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess we should start talking about this week's movie then. Yeah. Probably a good idea. Uh, my pick was. Oh, do you want me to say it? If you want to, sure. <laughs> Dead. Buried. Dead. <laughs> Embedded. <laughs> he is, of course, referencing the alien sex fiend song, Dead and Buried, which is the name of this movie. It's from 1981, directed by Gary Sherman. Um, it is about these murders that are occurring in this New England town of Potter's Bluff. It seems that any tourist or transient that comes into the town is killed by a group of people, um, usually in a vicious, horrific way. And they are being recorded the entire time. People are taking pictures. Uh, there's a guy filming with like an 8mm camera and this big light rig. And it's, it's up to the sheriff of the town to find out what's going on and get to the bottom of things. I'm going to say when we started this movie, it kind of lulls you in a little bit. There's a dude taking photographs on a beach. You know, it kind of shows you, oh, Potter's Bluff. It's your kind of nice New England town, good fishing town, good people. You know, mm-hmm. a little odd. Sure. A little odd people, but good people. And we get some nudity, like, within the first five minutes of the movie, and you're like, oh, okay, well, that's the kind of movie we're going to get here. Yeah, I really okay. didn't know what kind of film it was going to be based on that intro. Uh, yeah, it's super, super 
strange the way it opens because it just throws you for a loop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as soon as um, the you know, the lead who thinks he's going to score with a chick on the beach that he just met, which seems like a bad idea. I'm just going to say you should probably, if that happens to you in real life, good on you. But also you should probably be careful. Use a little discretion. Cause yeah. you know, what happened to him was he got socked over the head by a bunch of fishermen and then strung up and burned, burned. Yeah. And it's so like shocking and visceral how they just pop out and immediately yeah. it is like, poof, they are going at him, capturing him, tying him up, torturing him. It had a, and it didn't slack off on the, the, the violence of that. No, it's a very brutal all. attack without being overly bloody or anything. Yeah, yeah, it's just very brutal. It didn't need to have the same kind of brutality that like Last House on the Left had or anything like <laughs> no, that. No, you don't need that in this movie. But the tone was there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The tone yeah. was definitely there, mm-hmm. just not mm-hmm. quite the oh my god, I need a shower kind of a thing that followed Last House on the Left. <laughs> And it's so weird the the fact that they all have cameras and they're filming it. That almost immediately sets up this mystery of what's going on because you're like, why are they doing that? Yeah, who'd be documenting this murder? He is know? a cameraman, so is it is it that, or do they have some other purpose? That's, that's what I thought too. I mm-hmm. thought, okay, are they just like mocking him because because yeah. she makes comments about how his camera's so nice and everything, mm-hmm. and I right. just you know camera envy kind of a thing, and you're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> so I thought maybe they were just mocking him with his own thing, but that turns out to not be the case. No, nope. And um, so then his body is found horribly burned in his van, which is upside down, like off the side of the street. Uh, The sheriff, played by James Ferentino, uh, the character's name is Dan Gillis. He's there investigating the crime. He's um, hanging out with the tow truck driver, who is played by... Robert England. Yeah, you yes. asked us when it was on. You were like, "Who does that guy? Who, who's that guy?" And I, was we're wait, like, I was waiting for someone to say something. And I'm I like, did, they're, they're in that first scene, it's hard to recognize him. It's a little dark. He looks familiar. Right. He looks very familiar, and you're like, "I think I know that guy. I should know that guy." But he's super young. Oh yeah, yeah. He's really young. This is one of his earliest film credits, I believe. So I had a quick question for you guys since this came up. Um, what is your favorite non-Freddy Robert England role? Uh, for me, that would be the role of the alien Willie in V. Nice, nice. Michael? I don't know if you put me on the spot. Okay, well, I'll, I'll do mine and you think about it real quick. <laughs> he okay. sounded so wounded. This is uh, <laughs> this is going to color what people think of me, maybe, but I love him in uh, Toby Hooper's Eaten Alive from 1971. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> he is so hilarious in that film. Yep. Nope, that's a good good, good pick. I think it's, what, his name's Buck, I think? He's Buck. Yeah, name's he's, Buck. He's there to do something. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the sheriff and Robert England are waiting for the coroner slash medical examiner, medical examiner to get there. And eventually he does pull up in this old Cadillac hearse. He's playing this old timey music, uh, played mm-hmm. by Jack Albertson is the character's name. Uh, the character's name is William Dobbs played by the actor Jack Albertson. And I, I was looking on this. That was actually his last, uh, theatrical performance. That's right. Yeah. yeah. He, um, he, Died during post-production, actually, like six months after they wrapped. Very sad. He's it, a gr- he was great. It is film. sad. He, his, his career went all the way back to vaudeville, and people would know him mostly as Grandpa Joe mm. in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't even I make didn't, that connection. I didn't yeah, know that was yeah, him. That's him. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, why didn't you tell me that when, it, when we were watching it? Because um, I didn't know that then. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. That's cool. We learn things as we sure. research these films. That's the whole point, right? And yeah. we're like, oh, cool. That guy was. I've in also it. actually, you know, side note, never been that big a fan of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. As much as I love Gene Wilder, I've never just 
like that movie that much. Oh, it's fun. It's, I, I don't know. I don't like it as much as everyone else does. Mm. I don't knock them for it. I mean, it's no. fun, but it just never was my. Yeah, it never clicked with me. It wasn't anyway. quite my thing. So he shows up and he's taking his time being nice and casual. And uh, he goes down to inspect the body. And suddenly, uh, and the guy's hanging upside down, horribly burned. Uh, most of his face is gone. You can, like, see an eyeball. And this guy looks charbroiled. But then suddenly he screams and moves. And it's... That was a fun scene. Yeah, yeah it's one of the first real shocking scenes of the movie. I always forget in podcasts that they can't see me bouncing and smiling. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. So how do I emote bouncing and smiling? You've told us now. So. Okay. Yeah, there you go. We're good. <laughs> And one of the coolest things I realized doing research about this is that that was not a made-up actor. That really? was a puppet head. That was a full-size puppet that the great Stan Winston, damn, who worked on this movie, did. And wow. it is utterly convincing. Yeah, I thought it was him. I yeah. thought it was his head in makeup. I had no idea. But it looked the a whole little, thing's fake. Like, it looked a little stiff. Because he's dead. Yeah. Embedded. <laughs> but, not yet. No, not yet bedded. But it looked a little stiff, but you kind of thought, like, well, it could be because he's got a lot of prosthetics on, and mm-hmm. it's probably what I thought. feel good. But damn. Yeah. Stan Winston went hard. Oh, his amazing. skill is, like, all over this film. There's yeah. some great moments, uh, effect-wise, all throughout. Yeah. And um, So okay. before we a get bit. a little too deep in here, mm-hmm. we are genre exposure. What genre is this film? Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Um... A lot of sources call it a slasher horror film, but I don't think that's appropriate. So I consulted a few places, and I'm, I don't know if this is absolute, but what I found was a horror mystery. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, because I don't think it has the full-on effect of slasher. I don't think you... You don't have a singular killer. No, right. it's, it's not very slasher. Uh, I also would accept um, probably supernatural horror. Okay, and I have a subsequent question. Mm-hmm. Don't be mad at me, Jason. Mm. Is this a zombie film? This is a zombie film. Interesting, interesting. I'm going to agree with that, too. Okay. Um, and we'll find out why shortly. Yeah, because not necessarily <laughs> in the sense that we think, that we're trained to think when we think zombies. Right, mm-hmm. right. I was just curious, because off-air, you and I had a debate we did. about uh, 28 Days Later. Yeah, what makes a zombie movie <laughs> a zombie movie. Yeah, fair. Right. <laughs> I think I want to add a, a, a tertiary um, genre for this okay, that, we'll, that we'll find out later. Okay, Lovecraftian horror. I would agree with you, hundred yeah, percent. That's we'll get into that. We'll talk about that. Yeah, it's no I'm... Cthulhu Mansion, but yeah, I can see the Lovecraft. <laughs> but Mansion. this could. Once we start talking about it, you'll see how this could fit the mythos pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Sure, absolutely. Easily, this film is more to do with Cthulhu than Cthulhu Mansion. Just hands okay. down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, unintended, <laughs> unintended segue there. Cool, cool, cool. Nice. nice. All right, so we've got a murder. We've we got do. a detective. Well, an attempted murder, because he's still alive. Mm, yeah, he's hanging in there. Mm-hmm. But for the, uh, the sheriff is hot on the case of the burn victim. And, uh, <laughs> oh, God. Sorry. Mm. And uh, he's trying oh. to figure out exactly what happened here. And we learn very quickly, because he goes to a cafe the next day, and the locals are asking him about it. And his server at the restaurant was one of the women, actually the very woman that set him on fire on the beach right. to begin with. Yeah. So automatically we're clued in that, hey, it's the townspeople doing this. Mm-hmm. Right. 
which is interesting because you know usually with these movies you're trying to figure out who the killer is. Right. And my first thought was like, is this sort of a cult thing? Is there going to be like a you know everyone's coming out in robes at some point? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so then we get to uh, this new couple with their child. Right. That's the next. Well, there's a pretty important scene before that. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. Um, because he goes to visit the burn victim, uh, in the uh, hospital. Oh, right, 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 right. Yep. Yeah. And so they go talking to him, and this guy's basically in a coma. He's not waking up anytime soon, or at least he's not cognizant. Um, uh, they leave, they go out talking, and in the background we see a nurse come up. But it's actually the woman on the beach that he talked to in the beginning, who he yep. had named Lisa. Yep. And Lisa had, was calling him Freddy. We don't even get the guy's real name. I think we do later, but anyway, people keep calling him Freddy. And this comes into a great, great, great kill. Mm-hmm. Because she walks in and he wakes up and you can see the terror on his face. His <laughs> his face is in bandages. He's got this one big wide eye, and you know she's like, "I'm sorry, you're feeling bad. Now this will make you feel better." And she brings out a syringe with the longest needle I've ever seen, and just plunges it right into his open eye. Yeah, it's good ocular kill. Yeah, yep. At every kill in this movie, it's so harsh and so in your face when it happens. And also, like the previous one uh, with. The, when we see his body in the van and it turns out it's a dummy, the whole body in this scene's a dummy. God, man. The, the actor's not How? there. <laughs> there are films that, in, and Nicotero talks about this a lot in interviews that he does, that there are some guys, when their studio gets big and they start being contracted to other films, they mm-hmm. obviously can't be, you can't get Greg Nicotero mm-hmm. on every single film set that you're doing. Right. And but K and B effects will have multiple projects going, but he can't be there. So they'll send other people with them, and you kind of hope that you get the best. Sure, and get their understudies. And yeah, stuff, and know. thankfully they all try really, really hard oh, yeah. to do their best. But this was not the kind of movie that you would have thought Stan Winston would have been there for. I mean, he brought it. He just brought yeah. it. Yeah, it's amazing. I I cannot believe that that was another just dummy head again another puppet uh, yeah because i'm still kind of i'm thinking about that scene right now and i yeah. don't think that i would have you i wouldn't have known yeah right yeah. no you way can't tell. at all and the way they did the eye kill was that they of course they reversed the film the they started off with the syringe in the glass eye because he had drilled this little tiny hole for it and you know you, they put the syringe in the end of the eye and filming in reverse because when you take it out now it looks like you're putting it in but the lid closes and everything and it, it just looks so realistic. It's amazing. That's so cool. Wow. Yeah. Were there, was there behind-the-scenes footage of this? Like, I could not find anything of him actually uh, working on anything, oh, like any of the behind the scenes That would be so stuff. cool to see. Yeah. That would be so awesome. That would be great. But, but I'm a I, special I effects nerd. So. I don't think they filmed it. So. Oh, well. But the, it's there on the screen to see. Yeah, you can definitely check that out for sure. Yeah. So now we get the new family. Yeah, eventually, then the murder happens. There's some in-between. We get to meet uh, his wife. Mm-hmm. Janet. Janet. They have a super weird relationship, yeah. and you can tell there's something going on between them. She also looks like she's about 30 years younger than him. She's very young. It's uh, Melody Anderson plays the role. Yeah, and you might also recognize her from another cult film. Anybody know? No. They The producers were happy to get her because she had just uh, worked on... Flash Gordon. Ooh. Cool. That had not been released yet. And everyone's thinking, oh, this is going to be the next Star Wars. 
No, this is going to be huge. This is going to give us a ton of publicity. I mean, to some people, it was the next Star Wars. Well, <laughs> Not to the rest of us. And then, of course, it's a colossal flop, and no one cares about it. Right. That's sad. She's yeah. a very good actress. No, she's great. She's Flash. really good. <laughs> no, she's great, and she's great in this. But yeah, they have kind of a strange, distant sort of relationship. Like, um, he's told by one of the uh, townspeople, uh, the uh, hotel owner, that the guy, Freddie, that was burned... Uh, that his wife knew him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the guy, the sheriff is like, what? Okay. So he's trying to talk to his wife about it, and she was passing it off like he was coming to take pictures for, like, the school or something Selling like them that. camera equipment, I think. Is yeah, what it selling, that's it. Selling yeah. them camera equipment. Uh, so that's kind of fishy. It sets up this weird, um, not weird, I mean, it sets up a good, like, is she having an affair with this guy? Mm-hmm. And so you're automatically putting your main character at odds with his support system. Right. And he's already starting to be suspicious now of his wife. But that comes in later, too, because as the kills start piling up and he starts investigating them, everyone in the towns keeps saying, well, talk to your wife. Have you talked to your wife about it? And you're like, oh, my God. Like, how how is she, like, sleeping with everybody in this town? All roads seem to keep leading to her. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we haven't seen her among the townspeople that are killing, so mm-hmm. we don't you know, know if she's really connected with the killings or anything. I'm sure that's intentional to keep building oh, yeah. the mystery. Absolutely. And you know that hotel owner? We need to talk about this real quick. Oh, <laughs> Michael, <laughs> you and I were kind of like stunned at that part when he starts talking. I mean... <sighs> no one reined this man in. Yeah, he was just going for it, man. What's, like, his, what's the actor's name, Jason? Um, Macon McCullman. Played Ben, the hotel owner. Has he done anything else that's notable? Um, no, he, he was amazing in this. Like, not he had to have like ad libbed a lot of the lines or something. He kept slipping in and out of a New England accent. Mm-hmm. Well, he was the really whole... the only actor going for that whole New England sound. Yeah, but he didn't nail it every time. <laughs> it was he when he did nail it. He was really giving it his best. John Lithgow. Uh, you don't. Want, oh, no, I'm sorry, like Fred Gwynn. You don't want to go down there, yeah. kind yeah. of a thing. John really, Lithgow was in the remake. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Which actually, isn't all that bad. Mm, yeah, but, yeah, uh, okay. We'll talk about that later. But yeah, the, I was when you're watching this guy, he's just oh, he is so much overacting over every <laughs> single person on screen. Yes, like I, you're surprised there's scenery left because this dude's just been chewing it the whole time. Yeah. I loved him. He's having a great time, and it comes to find out that that might be on purpose. Sure. Because, as we're going to reveal here in a few minutes, I don't realize, shit, now that I'm thinking about it, I was just being real critical and thinking that he was just, like, really chewing the scenery, but maybe he was... Yeah, times of the plot now, couldn't Maybe he was supposed to. (laughs) Ah, a revelation. I was being a little judgmental. That's why it's good for us to talk through these. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. All right, so... Um, So then you get that family coming into town. Right. They're they're coming in the nighttime, and there's fog everywhere. It's atmospheric as hell. I love all of the fog in this movie. It is, like, constant. During the day, at night, it almost makes you feel like you're in a dream. And Mm -hmm. since you don't really know what's going on, that just piles it on there. Yeah, it does give it kind of a surreal quality. You're right. And they're killed. Uh, This time, a lot less bloodier. You didn't really see a lot in this scene. Yeah, but the, I think the super oh. cool thing about their reveal is that they need to find a place. Was it? Didn't they need to like use the bathroom or something? The kid needed to go pee. They were, they were lost. They needed directions and they needed to get gas. They stopped at a diner. Right. Yeah. Turns out the kid just wanted some ice cream. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So they but they go into this diner and like the the waitress pops up and it's every single person yep. in that room that was at the killings. Right. And you're like, oh right. no. So you know, you know this family is not making it out. They're not going to make it. 
And there was the transient kill before that, too. There was the the old drunk guy. Yeah. Now, that guy was also chewing every bit of scenery, too. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think his had anything to do <laughs> with with the story. I think his was he didn't get a whole lot of direction. And they're like, play a drunk transient. And he's like, I'm going to swing for the fences. <laughs> man, he gave it all, man. Maybe he was a method actor and he really got drunk. <laughs> he could have been. He could have pulled the Jaws thing. But his death is pretty gory, too. He's got that great uh, throat slash mm-hmm. and everything. But you'll notice as the film progresses, the kills get less gory. Yeah. What I did like about them going after this family, though, is that you can tell, like, nothing is sacred or safe here. Like, they're going to kill the kid. Right. Right. Yeah, that... The stakes are really high the entire time. And they give you a chance to think that they've actually made it away. Mm-hmm. And then a lady pops out of the backseat of their car that's just been hiding in there while they weren't in it. And you're like, damn. this!" Like, you want... It tells you... Those kills tell you once you've come into this town and it's decided you're going to die, mm-hmm. you're going to die. Like you don't, you're not getting out of here. Yeah. And the whole time, all this is going on. Uh, the sheriff Dan Gillis is working with the coroner Dobbs, and Dobbs is a little weird, a little eccentric. Mm-hmm. I think is the word. But you don't suspect him of anything right at the start. I kind of suspected him, but then as the film progressed and they started to like bond together and work on solving the case. Mm-hmm. I really had no aspersions that he could be involved at all. Well, right. Dobbs is very passionate about his work. Mm-hmm. He's insulted when anyone, anyone says, like, uh, the sheriff's in there watching him do his job, and he said, that's an awful lot of work for someone who's just going to end up in a pine box, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And then Dobbs goes crazy saying, no, you know, this is an art, and I am the artist. That's actually super cool, though, because, so, there's a mortician in my family, mm-hmm. and he, we don't talk about his work that much, but he takes the same level of pride in his work that Dobbs did. Mm, yeah. Like I can make this person look a certain way so that their family remembers them the way that they wanted to remember them. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think that every mortician does that. Right. And Dobbs even says something to that effect. Yeah. yeah. That, that they are, this is a moment in time it's that's going to be frozen for them. It's the last moment the loved ones will ever see them. So mm-hmm. it may be super difficult for you to do, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. It's worth it to make this perfect and right. Right. So that was a very good level of authenticity for me yeah, to see. Because you yeah. don't always see coroners or morticians in films portrayed that way. They're usually kind of bumbling and like... Usually eating a, a, <laughs> eating sandwich, a sandwich on, on the, belly yeah, of on the, the dower, corpse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of... That also pulled you away from him too. I think mm-hmm. that led your suspicions away. Because yeah. this man is very particular and seems to very much care about the person that he's working on at the time right um and then there's another murder that happens as well well actually before that happens though the sheriff's going around town trying to gather evidence talking to people and at the gas station he encounters uh the man from the beach at the beginning freddie freddie yep. yeah freddie shows up and this movie does a great job of not letting you see these characters again until they're just, boom, they're right, yep. there. It's like they've always been there. Yeah. yeah. Freddie looked like he's always run the gas station. He's yeah. always been the attendant. And it's worth noting that he's not horribly burnt. He looks perfect. Exactly. He looks exactly <laughs> how he did and when he was And that's even when that family comes through and they talk about the gas, they say, you know, go to the gas station. Freddie will take care of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you don't really right. think about that at the mm-hmm. time until Freddie pops up. And you're like, oh, yeah. shit, that was Freddie. Yeah. Okay. So that's our clue now that something's really going on with the murders and this might key you in to think this is this a zombie film something supernatural is going on right yeah 
We see the kid again later. Uh, the sheriff's wife is a teacher. She, he's in her class. Mm-hmm. And they, they have completely different personalities for different people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But as this kind of goes through, though, you we're starting to see little interactions between the sheriff and the townspeople as well. That as he's starting to get closer to this, the townspeople are starting to come undone just a tiny bit. And <laughs> yeah. they're all... Uh, Both figuratively and literally. Yes. yes as in one scene that the sheriff accidentally runs over a man, mm-hmm. just straight up hits him with his car, mm-hmm. and the dude gets up and runs away, but he left a piece of himself. Yeah, his arm dangling off of the... Live uh, and wiggling. Yeah. yeah. And so that was the first time in this movie where you're really like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah. And it was a great, great makeup effect, too. The mm-hmm. arm looked good. It did look not as good as the other stuff. Yeah, but it's, it's good. So our sheriff then takes skin fragments from this yep. arm and takes it to um who was that guy didn't he work for this the one, like town doctor or something yeah, yeah but he had a very elaborate um chemistry setup going <laughs> on that i guess this guy also did forensics for them as well i think so yeah and runs it and says that this flesh is how many months like old four months old yeah yeah and then the sheriff's like that's not possible mm-hmm. that's just not so we're starting to get deeper and deeper Mm-hmm. into the tunnel here as mm-hmm. we go and now it, this movie does get confusing at this mm-hmm. point and even as all of that's piling up the situation with his wife complicates further too he finds a book on black magic oh, yeah. yes and a dagger and a, a ceremonial dagger, yeah. dagger that's like um and he's sort of like hey why do you have these and she's like oh i'm just teaching a class you might find certain things in someone's underwear drawer but you don't <laughs> typically expect to find a ritual book of black magic and a sacrificial dagger typically mm-hmm. no I mean, you might, you might have mind, but and so even as that casts a, you know suspicion on her, it also muddies the waters more. Is it a zombie thing? Is it a cult thing? Is it a magic thing? I right. think for me, it got me there though. Like once it we hit black magic, mm-hmm. I think that's when I was keyed into. I'm thinking about zombies the wrong way, and I need to go back to the original thoughts of right. zombies. And we need to get into voodoo, and we need to get yeah. into that whole that whole thing. Yeah, right. That they're not just like hungry for brains or whatever, right? And it's super easy to think too that this is eighties, right? What year was it? What eighty one? Eighty one. Yeah. So we're thinking everybody's riding high on Romero, mm-hmm. and this would just be another zombie film. But I, I mean, you didn't have other like. I guess you have White Zombie. That's always like this. It came out like thirty. And I, or something like well, that. I walked with a zombie too. Kind of has that style. Yeah, it does, but it's also not really about the undead. But yeah, right. But then you don't get you don't get your full on primer for that really for most people until you get Serpent in the Rainbow, right? Well, I love that. Film well, too. I mean, the whole Haitian voodoo thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. everybody's kind of big. There's, there's primer. a bit of that in like I walked with a zombie, but right, you don't really dive into it. It's like not something that you're but... thinking of in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. Now maybe we are now because we've seen that film and we know about that. But yeah, yeah. I don't want to stray that off too far. But yeah, right. Um, so then, uh, almost immediately after the doctor tells the sheriff, hey, there's four months old dead skin here, um, he gets attacked and killed. Yeah. And unfortunately, the kills start getting gory again, but this one is not <laughs> executed as well as the others. No, this one, was a tr- this one was a big letdown. They used a fake head. The person is like injecting acid into his nostrils uh-huh. which should be cool should be amazing but it's just they linger too long on it and the head is so obviously fake it's and they're just super, doing the whole air fake. bladder gag thing now there's tons of there's a reason for this oh yeah mm-hmm. um the director gary sherman uh, originally well, actually originally he had envisioned this as more of a dark comedy 
Mm. And he did oh. not intend to have a lot of gory kills in it. Oh. But it went through like three production companies, and they insisted on more gore. Yeah, it was uh, PSO International. They were one of the financiers. Yeah. I did a little research on this. Cool. Um, they just kept demanding more edits and like shifts and changes in things. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. didn't think the like comedy aspects would work as well. Yeah, and this is one of those reshoots. And Stan Winston was not involved for this. Oh, okay. Which that, is why it looks like that explains crap. everything. Yeah. yeah, and it's really the only bad effect moment in the film, I think. It, right, exactly. That makes a whole lot of sense. And doesn't though. it make more sense? You were thinking, oh my god, how can we go from all this awesomeness that we didn't even know was special effects at right. the beginning, and then go to this horrible fake head? Mm-hmm. But somehow this movie survives all those cuts, though. Like, yeah. this is a rare moment where this movie survives. Oh, a yeah. bunch of studio involvement and saying, no, 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 you need to do it this way. Most films don't come out okay from that. Typically, no, from producer meddling, no. It, it usually feels like you can tell, well, somebody told them to do that here, but somehow they kept all this together. Mm-hmm. And it really still feels like one continuous story throughout the whole thing. Yeah, it yeah. works. It works. It's just unfortunate that the special effects weren't up to par in this scene. But it's yeah. a testament to their devotion to really see this through to its vision, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. And... Let's clarify, this isn't the worst special effect I've ever seen. No, no, no. This no, is, no, no. This is bad, but it's mostly just bad due to comparison to the initial special effects that you've seen. Yeah, if the rest of the film wasn't so good, it may not even be as noticeable. Right, right. It could have just been one of those like, oh, that's a bad effect that mm. you've seen in like every slasher film along the way. That there's going to be one that's kind of yeah. not so great. But no, that's that's, I mean, that's important to know. Yeah. Um, let's see. And then as the plot kind of thickens on now, <laughs> now we're kind of starting to get to our reveals. Right. Of of kind of our big let's figure out what's going on and let's wrap everything up kind of a thing. And that's when he starts to hone in on Dobbs, right? Right. And kind of find so Dobbs has a body go missing. Yep. Which is Dobbs is incredibly upset about because this is his livelihood, this is his reputation, and a body's gone missing. So as our sheriff starts to team up with Dobbs to track down the body mm-hmm. that's missing, <laughs> it brings our sheriff more was, into the fold. And that's Freddy's body, correct? That was right, yes. right. Yes. It starts to bring our sheriff into really getting into that inner circle of what's going on. Right. So is it fair to go ahead and talk about what well, we see? Well, there's that other one kill with the hitchhiker. It's very brief, but very right. uh, very striking. Right. Uh, she's killed um, via rock to the head by, <laughs> yeah. the, by the townsfolk. And again, it cuts away before you see it happen. It, so this is all in line with Gary Sherman's original vision of making it not gory, more atmospheric. Um, but then it's like almost... a direct cut to her laying on Dobbs's slab. Right, mm-hmm. and it's to note that all of these kills do have people there with the cameras. Right. Not they're just, all, not just from the it. first kill. They're yeah. always there. Video. It's a or, continual motif throughout the film. Yes, and they yes. usually say, say, welcome to Potter's Bluff. Right. It's their tagline. <laughs> Great. It was very chilling every time. Yeah. Uh, so we see her body, and it's all messed up. The, you know, the head's caved in. Looks awful. Looks gruesome. And then Dobbs goes to work on it. Right. And during this scene, you see it starts with, like, her skull, basically. Mm. And then you see him putting flesh on it and skin and makeup and hair. And it 
it becomes this girl. Right. And you know, we should also mention, every time he does one of these jobs, he always puts this certain song on. It's a little record that he plays. It almost, right. he, it's almost like a ritualistic thing that he does. Yeah. He's also humming it when, um, wasn't it? So isn't his hearse like almost Ecto-1? Pretty much, yeah. right. Because yeah. <laughs> um, I said that at first. Yeah, it looks like Ecto-1 <laughs> rolling down the hill. And this song is playing on the mm. radio in Ecto-1 hearse. Yeah. Right. And he's humming it, and he starts making, you know... A little illusion. Yeah, he's like gesturing like, like he was conducting yeah, the can, band. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Good choice of words. Mm. Good choice of words. Yeah. And so they show Dobbs. A, he's messing around with the body. And, uh, you know, he's moving what you assume is the actress's head around. Um, pulls up one of the eyelids and it's empty. Mm-hmm. And then he shoves a glass eye in there. And then you realize, <laughs> holy shit, that... That's not the actress. That's another freaking dummy head by yeah. Stan Winston. Yeah. And it's perfect. It really looks exactly like her. Because when we watched that, I was thinking, oh, how did they do that shot? Yeah. yeah. And he takes that tool and pulls up the other eyelid that already has the eye. And I think, Dustin, even you said something like they'd have to pay you extra for something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I'm not, I can't, I can handle eye trauma, but it does get to me a little sure, bit. And in this sure. film, they had plenty of it. Yeah, definitely. And then you realize, yeah, it's another dummy, and it's perfect. And the scenes where they show him building her, making her, that was actually Stan Winston actually constructing. Oh God, that's super cool. The <laughs> that's dummy. awesome. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons he said it looked so good because it was layer upon layer. Mm-hmm. You know, everything was there. Right. He could mess up with it. He could move the mouth and move the teeth, and everything looked a hundred percent authentic. Such a genius. Yeah. And then they kind of then Dob steps in the frame. And he's looking down at the body. It kind of pans up. And off camera, they're moving the dummy and then moving the actress in. So oh, then, cool. So then he's saying something and he moves away and then she rises up. And it's the actress. And she's alive and looks perfect. Now, are the is the camera going? Are the videos going at this time as well? No, not, no. not at this point. Like I'm no. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's move towards that. Yes. Right. So we don't. Let's get into the revelation of what's going on. Yeah, here. I think right. that's important for everything that happens. So once our sheriff finally comes back around to Dobbs for the, our final reveal, as mm-hmm. he comes into the funeral home or morgue, mortuary, whatever, kind of, it's kind of a blended thing going sure. on here, yeah. uh, small town. As he comes in, we have these projected videos and mm-hmm. pictures all up on the walls of playing of the murders. Yeah, it's all the footage that's been shot. Creepy 8mm black and white stuff. Yeah, it looks like, and I think I even said, I was like, that's kind of snuff filmish. You know, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. Playing, it is. <laughs> playing over there. And so, but you've also seen our main hero slowly breaking down mentally mm-hmm. through the entire film. And this is his breaking point. He's like completely distraught at this point. Can't figure out what's going on in this town. But there's a central video mm. in the middle that keeps playing, and it's of a couple having sex. Mm-hmm. It's not gratuitous or anything, no, you know. No. It's, um, but you know from that scene, you know that's the sheriff's wife because right. you see her. You yep, can make yep. out who she is. She starts stabbing the body on top of her, pushes it to the side, and it's her. Right. You. It's shown that that's her. And all the townsfolk are coming out. And so recording it. Now the sheriff breaks even more because sure. he's just seen. Oh my God, my wife is one having sex with someone else two, <laughs> um murdering that man mm-hmm. with the dagger that he finds in yep. the drawer good point so he's starting to connect his wife to all of these murders and placing you can see it in the actor's portrayal that he's piecing all of these things back together right, from right. going back through and everybody's like would you talk to your wife about it 
Yeah. Yeah. Did you talk yeah. to her? Maybe she talked to her about it. But as the body rolls over that she's killed, our hero sees that it was him. Right. Right. And he then comes to the realization that he is one of these people yeah. as well. And at this point, Dobbs is pretty much cops to everything. He, yeah. Right. You know, he's saying that he... He's proud of it now. Right. Because right. now that he can be open about it, he's proud of what he's done. Well, it turns out that he... He's the puppet master. Yeah. And this the whole town, everyone's dead. And bitted. <laughs> and he puts them back together and makes them perfect and has them play the, these little roles. Mm-hmm. I guess for his amusement. More well, it's than a city anything. of all his perfection forever right. laid out. Right. And the sheriff's wife comes in and she's saying the exact same dialogue from an earlier scene. And what Dobbs even says is, I made her for you. Yeah. That's right. how, he, how he frames and it. She's dead. And he tells her, she's dead. And he kind of freaks out, shoots her. She just sort of stumbles a little bit, doesn't fall down. And then she realizes that, yes, she's dead. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, I'm, I'm dead, Dan. Bury me. Bury me. Right. And backs out of the room. And he follows her out to the graveyard. And he's in that op- she's in that open grave. And she's burying oh. herself. She's pulling dirt That's a cool scene onto too. herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hard to watch. Very, like, emotionally, like, pulls at you. Yeah. Yeah, and the sheriff is, I mean, he's broken by this point. He's dumping dirt onto her. And uh, then the townsfolk come out, and they're all, like, doing the same. There's, like, like handfuls of dirt. Yeah, they're helping. the grave. And you can see they're all falling apart, too. Right. They're obviously all dead. You uh, find out that if, from Dobbs, that if he doesn't touch them up right, every so right, often. Right, right. They'll start freshen them up. They'll start to fall apart. So and you that, get a little hint of that with his assistant, the teenager guy. Yeah, you see him applying makeup at one point. You thought, but it looked like he was a drug addict. Yeah, yeah. You totally buy that he's in there. Like because Dobbs even talked about him smoking weed earlier. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to the cop, you know, mm, but yeah. and the cop even bout and our hero even vouches for him. Like he's a good kid, yeah, he's a good man. Kid, he's a good yeah. kid. You leave him alone. Don't don't mess with him. And what we forgot <laughs> to mention is that the sheriff also shot Dobbs. Right. And during this time when they're doing the burial, Dobbs is, he's not dead, but he's hes working on himself. He's embalming right. himself. It's the final phase. He's going to immortalize himself. Yeah. And then the sheriff comes back in. Uh, Dobbs is up again, looking perfect. And that's actually when the sheriff sees his own face and realizes, right, oh, right. Mm-hmm. I'm dead too. Right. And he's kind of screaming. He's got his hands to his eyes. And then you hear Dobbs say, come here, Dan, let me fix those for you. Right. And he raises, lowers his hands, and the fingers are all, like, split and rotting. Good makeup there, yes. too. Yeah, really good great. makeup. Right. And that's the end. And this is where I think this is Lovecraftian horror. Well, there's actually two things I want to talk about with this. Yeah. So okay. before we go deep in that, because I have a lot of thoughts there. Okay. Uh, did either of you guys get, like, a Twilight Zone, or I'm going to say, like, some of the EC Comics vibes, like Tales from the Crypt totally. or Vault of Horror? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that was definitely stuff. an inspiration source on this. Mm-hmm. But th- I also felt this could have been easily a Lovecraft story. Yes. Kind of a Herbert West sort of thing. Not so much of an experimental, but more of a controlled... Um. Well, at one know. point, they talk about Dobbs' past, mm-hmm. and he studied at Providence, Rhode Island. Yeah, yeah. That was I what got that. me on the track, thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was interesting. That and he, he was dismissed for, um, very nebulous about it, but some unwarranted practices he was doing. Yeah, yeah, the typical Lovecraftian thing going on. Yeah, yep. we, we surmised that perhaps he did a couple of semesters with Herbert West at uh, Miskatonic. <laughs> yeah. And this is what I wrote down. So the way Dobbs is very cheery but he has this unhinged nature underneath that is very much like Dr. Herbert West from Reanimator. The fact that he has this sort of undefined, maybe magical secret to resurrection 
brought to mind uh, Joseph Kerwin and his revivals using the essential salts of a person in yes. the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Mm-hmm. And then Dan's mental breakdown, which you talked about, Michael, that is sort of the archetypical Lovecraftian protagonist mm-hmm. in those final moments. Points. Yeah, <laughs> he gets some revelation that he cannot take anymore and just wipes out. Right, he's brought, he's gone. Mm-hmm. And just like many of Lovecraft's stories, you have this lingering dread at the end. Nothing really got resolved, and this problem is just going to continue on and plague humanity into the future. Until the next one shows up and mm-hmm. for the next member of his menagerie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's no stopping it, and it's just out there, and yep, that's Lovecraftian, man. It yeah. is. It really is. Yeah. So, what you? Well, I guess there's a few more things to talk about with this movie. Um, we had mentioned the setting and the fog, mm-hmm. and to me, it looked like New England. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but they didn't shoot New England. They shot Mendocino, California. Yeah, cool. Like you would. Naturally. <laughs> As you would, a Hollywood Naturally. production, sure. They did a good job portraying it, though, I think. Yeah, and apparently there's a lot of natural fog in the area, mm-hmm. so that really helped. Hmm. Well, as far as rece- reception for this movie goes, uh, it really didn't make a splash. Um, I think I saw that the budget was a estimated $3 million, but I could not find anything about how much it made. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It was one in the video store days. I always saw it on the shelf, and it has a great cover, really striking. Of It's... Uh, Janet's face, right? Kind of like laying there with the dirt surrounding it. Right. Yeah, very kind of stark. Like she's almost like in a desert. Like the earth is baked and cracked. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, I think I've seen the cover of this more than I've ever thought about the movie. I never saw it till now, so yeah. Like, But if somebody said dead and buried, you've actually, if you've been into horror, you've probably seen that cover. Yeah. Somewhere. It usually pops up in some... Oh, it, it haunted every mom and pop video store back in the 80s. Yeah. And as far as the director, uh, Gary Sherman, he's done a few other things, right? Before this was Raw Meat. Mm, A.K.A. Deathline, made in 1972. I've always, wanted to, yeah, I've always wanted to see that. It's uh, worth watching. And then what else? Vice Squad, which is a lot of fun. I never saw Vice Squad. Oh, it's wild, dude. Um, and then Poltergeist 3, which I like it. I know. I keep forgetting he did that. Yeah. Mm. So many production problems on that one. So he's not a, a novice to horror. No, not at all. Speaking of <laughs> haunting the video stores, this is also something I didn't know until recently, is that this film made the video nasties list in the oh. UK. Hmm. And for anyone unfamiliar with that, in the early 80s, there was a big brouhaha uh, brought about by special interest groups, by parent groups, uh, religious groups, uh, conservative news folk. They were convinced that horror films were just destroying the youth. And of course. they were to blame for all of society's ills. Um, so they decided they were going to round up. They were going to find all these movies that they deemed video nasties that should <laughs> not be seen by anyone. Right. And uh, this was one of them. This doesn't belong on that list. No, not at all. I mean, there's some nasty kills, but not even close. But that is the video nasties. It's just like, uh, you know, I don't care if I make anyone mad. It's a bunch of stuck-up assholes that just want to police you know what's out there there he goes he's got he's done it he's, he's <laughs> killed the podcast it's all opinion but i think that you know censorship is always wrong stuff should just be what it is and you need to be responsible for your intake of content that's out there right you right know, parent your kids be involved in their lives that requires work dustin don't yeah. expect the government or some you know advisory board to well, that, that's exactly what yeah. these people did because they went to the british board of film classification and they had enough sway that they got the government involved and 
movies were quite literally outlawed. There were certain video cassettes you could not sell or buy. If you did, you were going to go to jail. It's crazy, dude. So this was put on the list along with movies like uh, Blood Feast, The Burning. Oh, the Bell of the Burning. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Cannibal Holocaust, I Spit on Your Grave, Tenebrae, Zombie Flesh Eaters, a.k.a. Zombie. And I mean, they were all considered contraband until they were finally given the certificates, usually not until the 90s or even into the 2000s. It's crazy. And even One times they were still edited. Doesn't belong. <laughs> <laughs> and even then there would still be minutes cut from it. Right. It's mm-hmm. just so overreactive and insane. But hey, now it's a badge of honor. Damn right. Yeah. Damn right. All right. Well, we're running over here a little bit. Okay. So let's talk about our final receptions of the film. Sure. Dustin, what do you think of it? You know, I really loved this one. I've always wanted to see it. I was never sure what it was about. I thought it was a zombie movie. I wasn't too sure. Um, kind of is, I would say now. Um, super great. Great mystery. Great great uh, kills. Great effects. Just great across the board. Uh, there's that one, you know, reshot uh, bad... The doctor's head. Puppet head. Does but... that affect your rating, though? Knowing that... Knowing what happened there? Hmm, does it? I don't really think so. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's great. I think it's an absolute must-see. If you love zombie films, it's definitely something different. If you're fatigued on the idea of yeah. seeing stuff about the undead, this is so unique. It's definitely worth seeing. Uh, and if you just love 80s horror films, it's one to check off on your list. So I would give this about a, I would say, four out of five. Okay, where I'm that's at fair. Yeah. That's fair. That's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Michael? I'm going to go four out of five as well. That's mm-hmm. what I was thinking. I'd love to give it a little higher. Um and maybe that rating would change as I've sat with this movie a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But I have found myself thinking about it quite a bit since we've watched it. And it was just very different. It was something nice and refreshing to see. It's one of those cool cult classics that people talk about that you probably didn't run across. Because yeah. it's not in your face, like on the lists of movies, you should see this. Mm-hmm. Right. But I'm with Dustin. Definitely, if you're a horror fanatic, which you probably are if you're listening to this podcast. You should be. You need to check it out if you haven't seen it. And there might be a lot of you being like, oh, my God, you guys haven't seen that movie? Jeez, what's wrong with you all? Sure. But that's part of this podcast. It is. is. Some things just slip through the cracks, man. Nobody can see everything. There's so much out there. But I'm so glad that you brought this one, though. And I'm also glad of how you – I mean, we just spoiled it for everybody if you haven't seen it. That's what we do. (laughs) But but you didn't show us much about it. You didn't tell us much about it either. So we went in as just as blind to the thing. It was just the best way to do it. And I can so, see this is definitely one I'm going to go back to again. Oh, yeah. I nice. definitely want to watch it again. Yeah. Nice. Good. Good. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you guys. I, I'm thinking four out of five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a pretty good rating. Um, I, I certainly like it better than uh, Gene Siskel did when it oh, came no. out. Oh, no. What did he say? Because I found a cool clip on YouTube. Uh, Siskel and Ebert had their Dogs of the Week feature. <laughs> oh, come on, on. On their popular movie God, review show back in the so day. Mad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they didn't even bother to review the movie. They just mm-hmm. spouted off a bunch of movies they didn't like. Okay. And, That's constructive. Thanks, guys. And I will quote Siskel here. He said, <clears throat> Hideously gruesome. The ads for this film say it will take your breath away. No, I think it will just make you look away as we're forced to suffer through a scalping pill of a human head and a hypodermic needle stuck in an eyeball. Yeah, You can safely avoid seeing dead and buried. Thanks. Uh, Thanks, man. Yeah. He did so much for for film, didn't he? Yeah. Let's not also forget that he totally doxed Betsy Palmer from Friday the 13th. He published her home address 
because he didn't like a movie. Cool. Classy guy. Yeah. You do a whole episode just on the failings of I mean, the guy's dead. He can't genre cinema. Himself, but I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, he uh, dead I, and <laughs> Not if Dobbs got to him. That's true. But, uh, yeah, I, I have the exact opposite view of Siskel's uh, idea there of the movie. I think it's great. Just check it out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, next week we got an interesting one for you. Yes. I uh, kind of set up to you guys this idea of pink films. I've been exploring them uh, this year. It was kind of just a random project I decided to start on. And we'll go more into pink films in depth. Yeah, next On episode. our next one. So we'll get into I'll it. I'll catch Dustin before he gives you his pink film essay. Oh, and we will. I, I bought a scholarly text to bring to the next episode. <laughs> oh, you said. You said. Um, of course you did. But I noticed a weird thing where uh, a lot of new sites were kind of covering pink films and talking about them. And there's some streaming sites that are going to launch like little collections of some of the newer ones that have been restored recently by uh, boutique labels. So I thought, you know, maybe this is a sign that we should go in on this and really dig deep and talk about them. Fair. So next time we are going to cover... At Sushi Yamatoya's 1967 film, Inflatable Sex Doll of the Wastelands. Yep. Are you we sure that's not a trauma film? I promise you. Mm, okay. We're All going right. there. I'm yeah. looking forward to it. So prepare yourselves. Nice. All right. Exciting times. Thank you guys so much for tuning in with us. Again, as always, please write us. Find us on your favorite social media platforms. We're on all of them. Uh, you can also write and email us, too, if you'd rather do that. It's a genreexposure at gmail.com. Until next time, we'll see you then. Bye, everybody. Take care. Take care.